Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 248. I hope everybody is doing fine out there. It's October, and it's the best season, in my opinion, to be in New York City, so I am happy. I recorded this one in Stytown in Manhattan, which is a place I had never heard of, but it is a neighborhood in Manhattan, and it's really cool. And there's a public park in between the buildings, And that's where we recorded, right next to the fountain. So you might hear some ambient noise there. Uh, Quite a cool place to record. And I was invited there by my guest, Anna Maria Bounds. She is a professor and an urban sociologist at Queens College. I had reached out to Anna because she is an expert in the New York City prepper subculture. In fact, she wrote a book about it, and she's a member of it. So the book is called Bracing for the Apocalypse, an Ethnographic Study of New York's Prepper Subculture. Now, I come to these conversations with a blank slate, but I did have some ideas of what I thought the makeup of a prepper community might be, and Anna really squashed those preconceived notions. Uh, She actually has a quote that I read after our conversation in an interview that she did in the Times, and I think it really sums up well the idea of what the New York City prepper subculture is made of. And it says, the stereotype of preppers is that they're paranoid and think that the government is coming for them. Whereas people in the city, preppers of color, prepare because they think the government isn't coming for them essentially saying that there's this idea that when things really go bad, that the federal government will not be able to help people out. And I think that's been shown in various ways in New York City through the storms that have been happening and the the failures of infrastructure, um, the early stages of the pandemic. So I was really interested in talking to Anna about this community and in learning because she is an expert. So this is a fascinating conversation for me. If you go to the notes for this episode, I will have a link to her website and her social media. And I would implore you to go buy her book because this is a 40, 45 minute conversation, but there's so much more within her book. And if you are interested in this stuff, like she talks about, there's all sorts of resources that you can read about and watch online. And as she says, in a way, we're all preppers. We have things in our house to prepare for storms. Some of us can food, save food in our freezer for if something were to happen. So I found this one super interesting. I will stop babbling for now, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Anna Maria Bounds. All right, so first let me... Get your background in terms of your field. You are a sociologist. Yes. um, My name is Anna Maria Bounds. I am a sociologist. I am from Queens College. What led you down the path of sociology? It's actually my undergraduate degree, so I'm curious. Well, in terms of sociology, you know, it's, it's, it's I adore cities. I think that it's the best framework, you know, as an urban sociologist for thinking about, you know, the, the politics, the culture, and the economy of cities. Hmm. I would imagine that perhaps there's no greater time than now to be looking at uh, society and social issues in America. Absolutely. You know, I think that this is a really interesting, a a terrific time to be a sociologist um, because there's so many um, complex problems. And I think in order to understand a complex problem, you need to have um, a complex lens, let's say a Mm. rich lens for, for understanding our time and place in the history of American cities. So today we're going to be chatting about the, is it correct to say the prepper community? Yeah, today we're going to be talking about a specific um, prepping community. We're going to be taking a look at the at preppers in New York City, uh, specifically New, or what we call urban preppers, who are very different from suburban preppers, who are very different from rural preppers. Okay. What made you interested in this 
specific subsect of society. Well, the interesting thing about living in New York, and for all of you New Yorkers out there, I'm sure that you can certainly understand um, what a, um, my sensibility or what, what I'm about to say. The world of, of how we live in New York is changing. New York is becoming an increasingly a city of increasing risk. I mean, we have had a variety of, of crises, of disasters that have occurred in the city um, since the start of this century. So I came at becoming interested in urban preppers because my life as a New Yorker was trained changing. I was here for um, September 11th. I was here for Hurricane Sandy. I was here for the East Coast blackout. You know, I was here for um, the West Side Highway attack. Um, um, uh, the highway attack. The idea that you know how I how I live and, and ground myself in the city was changing, and I was seeing that I was coming up on you know the short end of the stick sometimes. You know, like for example with Hurricane Sandy, having a flashlight but no batteries. You know, not having any food because you know this is the land of immediate gratification. We don't we don't shop regularly, right? We're used to having what we want when we want it, and unfortunately. You know, times are very different now, and I, the pandemic has shown that for all of us. So I came at this from direct experience, just as my research has discovered that you know the the preppers uh, that urban preppers have started to prep because they realize that they need to do this for the city to live in the city. And your research is ethnographic, right? Which essentially means like you're immersing yourself within the community that yeah, you're absolutely. studying. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yes, my yes, my work at ethnography. So I'm so curious about how you went about that, because I would imagine, and, and maybe due to my own ignorance on the topic and then on the community, that they may not want to talk much about their own community. So how were you able to actually conduct this research and gain access? Well, one of the, well, I think that well, you're, you're certainly right. You know, an important part of prepping is is based on, and connections that you make within this community is based on trust and credibility. And one of the things that, you know, you have to understand about my project is that it was participant observation, and it still is. My, my research is ongoing. So in other words, I tend, um, um, I'm a member of an urban prepping group. I attend prepping events. You know, I try and learn. I practice um, prepping. I'm interested in it um, from a sociological perspective. I'm also interested in prepping to figure out how I can um, improve my own chances of, let's say, of uh, survival in the city. So I think that um, an important part of my research is getting in there and, you know, and, and figuring out what prepping is all about and not treating, you know, this group of individuals as, you know, isolationists, as people who are alienated from community, because one of the biggest things that uh, discoveries that I have made is that prepping is actually very much mainstream um, in that um, uh, preppers are actually, many of them are community leaders. They're people who are interested in supporting their friends and neighbors. So it's very, very different than what I expect. And my most important finding, uh, one of my most important findings, and probably my top one, is that I've discovered that urban preppers are quite different okay. from what we imagine the stereotypical prepper to be. And what I mean is, these are individuals who aren't just community leaders. A lot of preppers are people of color. A lot of preppers are women. Um, so they're very, the, the urban preppers in New York are very diverse. So it's, so the group that I'm studying, you know, the group that um, is here in New York is very different from the stereotype of this isolated, rural, white male prepper, you know, a patriarch who is, you know, worried that uh, the government is going to um, is going to take away their guns because mm. that's very different than what um, than what New York preppers are. Yeah, that's fascinating. I had that in my notes here to sort of ask about commonalities and sort of uh, demographics and I guess I guess this also crosses party lines. Well, yeah. Well, here's the interesting about, you know, New York preppers. I mean, just like the city's diverse, preppers are diverse. They come from all walks of life, different ages, um, different income levels, you know, um, and um, uh, 
a variety of, of different groups, race, ethnicity. So it's really interesting. But the thing is, when I inter- you know, when I interview people, when I spend time with them, they're all interested in prepping because they've come from some type of experience here in the city that may, has made them realize that they need to be better prepared for emergencies. Yeah, that's really interesting to me uh, because I would think that, well, we're talking about a variety of potential issues, right? Uh, environmental catastrophe, perhaps societal, political collapse. Uh, but let's say that there was some superstorm or something like that. New York is not situated in the best place. So I would think preppers would be thinking, okay, I've got a backup plan to get out of New York to a shelter in a rural setting, but well, is that not the case? Well, I, well, one of the things so that's an interesting. You're 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 right about the the point that you've raised. You know, New York again is you know with climate change and all sorts of you know other issues. Uh, New York is definitely changing, and I think that New Yorkers are about adaptation. You know, we're about street smarts. We're about survival smarts now. Um, when you take a look at preppers, they they prepare for basically five categories um, or several categories. Um, Natural disasters, in other words, thinking things of you know climate change, technological collapse, pandemics or epidemics, um, governmental um, or economic collapse. So basically, those are you know those those are four that were the, the I'll say the the top four that we're taking that we that. Um, they're interested in. And when we take a look at the history of New York, what do we see? We see that in this century, you know, we've had, you know, all of those occur in the city. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. I mean, what was it what, just three weeks ago we had the flash flood? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which I was like talking to my partner about this. We live on the fifth floor, but we've been looking into moving. We were like, okay, we'll never live in a basement in New York City now because you can't. <laughs> right, right. It was, you know, it was um, one of the things that reminded me of the importance of my research was with with the flat, flash flood is that I was, um, you know, watching the news and I was taking a look at, you know, the, the footage that they were showing of, you know, flooded subways. And um, one of the subways was uh, Forest Hills by Queens College, which was, you know, almost completely submerged. Um and in that area where the train, you know, of the train tracks um, was completely flooded. And then I frequently take the uh, subway at 28th Street and they showed water pouring through that. So I think for all of us, that's just a reminder that we, you know, we love the city. We're dedicated to living in the city. There's nothing like urban culture. You know, the verb, you know, all the arts and culture, all the beautiful people and beautiful things and and beautiful food we have in the city, right? But there's also a flip side in that, you know, we're developing the need for a sense of preparedness. For example, um, at the start of the pandemic, what was the issue? You know, there there was a need for uh, personal protective equipment. There was a need for things like... um, um, uh, proper masks, you know, in, in 95 masks, there was a need for hand sanitizer. There was a need for gloves. There were all these things, you know, that preppers usually store that, you know, regular people were looking for. Hmm. So one of the things that, I, that when I finished my first book or the last, the, the end of the book actually ends at the start of the pandemic and which I'm extremely grateful for, um, spending so much time with the prepping community because I was able to look in my bug out bag and, um, that I had N95 masks. I didn't have to worry. I was already kind of prepared for the start of it. I already had, you know, a small prepping closet that had, you know, um, emergency food and provisions stored. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I would imagine, too, that this isn't necessarily a new concept because all throughout the Cold War, people were making, like, their own personal fallout shelters. I know if I'm talking about, like, suburban and rural because they will have, like, a yard. Um, But does this have, like long-standing roots into the... Well, uh, well, you know, long-standing roots, certainly in, you know, in, in American culture. Um, the And it also, in immigrant culture, the idea of saving for a rainy day. Mm. You know, the idea of, of trying to be prepared for, um, you know, most, most conditions. And then trying to be... F- and developing a sense of adaptation and flexibility when you're met with a crisis. You know, we can talk about... Um, the sense of individualism in American culture, but the interesting thing with the city is when I, when I, you know, in interviewing um, 
a lot of preppers. One of the things that came out, too, was the idea that this was an important part of immigrant culture, coming to a country, you know, and, and, and um, understanding the importance of self-reliance, mm. you know, like I said, saving for a rainy day, you know, for when there isn't a paycheck and all of these things. So, Yeah, and then community as well, because also like immigrant communities heavily rely upon each other for subsistence and survival in the places they go to. So I would imagine the prepper community works in a similar way. Right. Well, and the interesting thing is, yes, the prepping community, there's a, there's a strong, uh, there's strong social networks um, within and among preppers. Um, and uh, that include both preppers and, you know, let's say new preppers are, are um, non-preppers in terms of providing, you know, mutual assistance to one another. And a lot of that has to do with neighborhood. A lot of it has to do with the communities that you live in. Um, so it's certainly, you know, terrific research for taking a look at, you know, the social fabric of cities and taking a look at how we all bond together outside of institutions. Hmm. Is the community interested in growing and recruiting and educating people upon, you know, the, the skills and the, the knowledge that they have? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There is the, um, there are, um, there's the um, New York Preppers Network, the New York City Preppers Network that offers um, uh, seminars and, um, and training for people interested in prepping. Interesting. And you tell me what you think about this as a sociologist and you can probably put these thoughts together much better than I can, so just uh, bear with me as I figure out how to say this. But often when I look at, and I won't get political, but when I look at the political issues in this country, I often see that while there are differing ideas and parties, the root causes of people's either real suffering or perceived suffering is often the same. And when I think about societal issues. So like one of the things is infrastructure. We're talking about that in this country now, but we just mentioned the flooding of the subways. There is a, there is an infrastructure problem in the subways with flooding. And we see this in cities across the country with bridges and, you know, I see like a lot of our sort of like post-industrial issues almost as being held in common, but the reaction to it is quite different. So maybe a prepper group grows out of it, or we're seeing a rise in, or like a recurrence of like Marxist ideology, or then there's like QAnon, there's all these different groups. But am I correct in thinking that like the root cause of the creation of these groups is quite similar? Um, I wouldn't make that assumption no? because I think that, um, uh, fundamental uh, because the groups that you've kind of mentioned um, are quite different. So I don't think that you could collapse, let's say, a, prepper, a prepping community where people get together to practice um, how to shelter in place and how to, let's say, leave the city in the event that there's a crisis and, and uh, how to learn wilderness survival skills mm. and the kind of training and the kind of commitment that goes into that um, as opposed to, let's say, a political group that is interested in a set of conspiracy theories completely different. You know, the idea of prepping, you know, these individuals, um, some, some people may argue that this is an extreme response, but um, uh, the idea of training and thinking about prepping and preparing a, a bug out bag for, you know, for your family um, in this particular time and even a, a prepping closet, you know, give, you know, given the circumstances of the pandemic, these kinds of things are grounded in reality. They're mm. not grounded in myth. You know, which, you know, certainly some of the, you know, groups that you've just mentioned are coming from this at a very different perspective. And they're not even really dealing with, you know, the same, you know, the same issues. Okay. I think that makes sense. Um, can you talk to me about skills? Like, are there specific classes for uh, first aid? Are people being educated in, like, firearms and hunting and things like that? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because, if well, I wouldn't... That there are a variety of different um, strategies for improving your sense of, of, of preparedness. For example, some people take or become certified in first aid, which makes sense for anyone. You know, for someone like me, I have a father who is, um, well, of course, he, you know, he's a senior citizen. Um, you know, he's 80 now, but, you know, he walks around like he's 30 and he's always engaging in all kinds of, pro you know, projects hmm. and cutting himself and things like that because his reaction time, unfortunately, is a bit slow. 
flour. So one of the things that is useful for me and our family is to, you know, have an understanding of first aid. Um, some individuals are interested in more holistic practices, such as trying to figure out um, how to rely on natural sources, such as, as, such as uh, natural remedies, hmm. you know, to help their families. There are all sorts of things that you can do and all sorts of levels of, levels of prepping. You know, you can, um, if you're a city person and you're not interested and, and you're not, you haven't spent any time really outdoors and when I say outdoors camping that might be something that you want to be comfortable with get comfortable with what would it be like if we had if we all had if my if we all had to leave and we had to sleep outside Where, how would we do that do we have the equipment you know these are all kinds of things that you know need that other people people in other communities take for granted but are very different you know for New Yorkers like you know th think if you had to leave the city does your family have a plan where how are you going to walk out of the city Mm. You know, are what kind of um, issues are you going to think about that uh, when would you leave the city might be a good question. Like, for example, some individuals were concerned about um, the pandemic. An interesting way would be to take a look at people's responses to the pandemic. Um, and of course, this is definitely based on the idea of income level, what you have access to, where you can go. You know, the first group that left the city were the wealthy, right? Not necessarily that they were preppers, but they mm. were responding very much according to a prepper theme. You know, <clears throat> the idea that they felt they needed to bug out. They felt they needed to leave the city, that their family would be self uh, would be um, safer elsewhere, you know, whether it was a second home, a different area. And of course, you know, the um, um, very wealthy preppers that I interviewed for my first book, you know, left the city. You know, they went to places, you know, that they had already, you know, established. So when we think about prepping, I think that the most interesting thing is that uh, for me have is that everybody's thinking about prepping now, you know, and, and I think if people have been thinking about it for a long time, um, the idea of um, when you would like take, for example, when you go to Costco or you go to Sam's or you go to some big box store, they have prepping kits there for mm. you, right? People are buying them. They may not be talking about it because they're worried there's a stigma associated with it, but those things have been on sale for, you know, quite a long time. People are purchasing them. They're just not talking about it. So there's a certain level of anxiety and, um, and fear about the changing environment, fear about politics, fear about whatever, you know, terrorist attacks, whatever the case may be. I would argue that, you know, it's definitely much, um, it's become much more mainstream. For people who aren't fortunate enough, I guess, to own another home, like I know a lot of people went out to rural settings or a lot of people initially like went down to Florida. Right. Um, is there like a specific location where the community has identified as a place that doesn't get hit by hurricanes often or tornadoes or something like that? Well, again, uh, well, l let me say this first. This isn't in terms of the prepping community. Individuals have set up there. You know, there's some networking. You know, there's some agreements among preppers um, um, that in the event of a, a, a disaster and you have to leave the city, that they'll meet up at certain places. I'm not privileged to share any of that information. Mm. Um, but I will say that preppers um, do have two, the, you always have two strategies. One, how to shelter in place. And again, your listeners are more than familiar with that because we've all sheltered in place during the past year, right? And then the second issue, or then the second um, would be bugging out, leaving the city. You know, and some preppers um, um, do certainly have um, places where they can go and live, places arranged. You know, d you know, depending on your income level, it could be something quite grand. It could be something much more modest. And if you're someone who is very, very very comfortable with the outdoors. It may be going to um, a forest area and camping and living, you know, um, living outdoors, you know, living in the wilderness. And there's certainly many preppers who are equipped to do that. And this gets back to your, you know, idea about classes. There are all sorts of classes, you know, all sorts of, you know, things, you know, that, that you can become, you know, skilled in. It depends on what you'd like your skill set to be. Yeah, the, the pandemic is so interesting because I think in some ways it demonstrated that if there was something on the whole societal level, we wouldn't handle it so well. I mean, we we 
Supermarket, right? Supermarkets did, did run out. Did. Some people did hoard everything. Well, right, and it wasn't, and it wasn't even an issue of hoarding. I think that an important issue about prepping is that people that a lot of people have m- many preppers have turned to. Um, trying to protect their families and trying to minimize harm in terms of physical harm and economic harm to their families because they've discovered that they can't rely on the government, that the government is um, overwhelmed, um, is uh, lacks appropriate uh, proper organization, or could be uh, have a lack of interest in helping them. So one of the foundations of prepping is the philosophy of self-reliance, taking a look at not just preparedness, but taking a look at homesteading and uh, learning about homesteading and um, learning about sustainability, as you talked about earlier, taking a look at things that people have done, you know, in American culture and in, you know, many other, um, many other cultures throughout time, trying to think of, you know, grassroots things, taking a look at, you know, what you can do to protect your family independent of receiving support from the government. It's very interesting because if you think about what we were like in a pre-industrial society, or like you mentioned homesteading, people who were homesteaders in the way that we think of, like people who settled out west, right? Your home was self-sufficient. Like you were making your soap. You were getting your food. You were growing your food. There was no 7-Eleven to go to. So it's almost, it's sounding to me as you talk, like turning back to skills that we've like forgotten about because of industrialization. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing is, you know, that preppers are, are um, um, know how to do those sorts of things, how to make your own laundry, how to make your, you know, how to make your own soap. How, you know, um, many of them have container gardens in the city, mm. you know, our window box gardens, you know, how to grow, you know, um, things, um, you know, how to grow certain vegetables, how to find them locally. Um, when you go to a park, like let's say, well, this one doesn't have a lot of vegetation, but let's say, you know, going to a park in your, in your area, um, Central Park would be a great example, and trying to figure out how to forage. You know, the, these are these are not the easiest skills to learn. They require a lot of dedication, you know, and a, and, and a lot of focus, but they also bring people a lot of joy as well. Yeah, I'm thinking here, again, my brain always pops when my guests are saying all these interesting things, but I'm thinking that, yeah, like why wouldn't every building sort of have a community garden? Or why wouldn't we be growing, um, like I've seen before, gardens that can grow on rooftops or on your walls and things like Vertical that? Vertical gardens, right? Vertical there are gardens. actually a lot. Of, there, there are actually a lot of those in the city now. And of course, you know, um, community gardens are an important part of, of New York culture. So I think that there are people, and there are urban farmers. You know, there are people doing a lot of interesting things. It's just that um, when it comes to New York, these aren't elements of our culture that we think about, but they're certainly there. And that's the cool thing about, you know, my research is that I I get to, you know, I get to discover these um, really rich resources that we have here in this city. Yeah, it maybe sounds idealistic or like utopian, right? But do you think that we would get to a place where we would have leaders, I guess, who are sort of transforming cities to reflect these things that we're talking about here, like such as urban gardens? I think that when, you know, when you take a look at the scholarship and when, and when you take a look at, more importantly, the skate, the actual things that are going on in New York, I think there are a lot of good, good hearts out there, you know, trying to steer cities in the right direction of sustainability and of, you know, trying to create a, a, a positive future. Certainly there are people out there. You know, I think there are people always fighting, you know, always fighting the good fight for sure. Yeah, I I had a a local politician on recently who was talking about how she would love to build a berm of of like almost like a wall of plants along the entire BQE to clean up the air. And I was thinking, okay, that yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't we have that? But then, like, you're always butting up against sort of like, where's the money going? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are a lot of urgent needs that cities have, Um, and you know, particularly now, you know, after the pandemic, we've had a crushing, you know, a, a huge hit to to our economy. So there's some real needs, you know, in terms of social services that you know that people have. And for me, the interesting thing. um, not just during the pandemic, but now is taking a look at the different ways that, you know, community members have helped, tried to help each other outside of 
uh, you know, government services in terms of things like having, you know, developing a community pantry, you know, in an apartment getting together and, you know, taking, you know, people trying to take care of neighbors. There's, so there's all sorts of interesting things going on. I will admit that when I came out of college, I was probably, no, not probably, I had a very hard stance in terms of politics and right and wrong and who I thought was doing the right things by society. And I've softened a bit to be more empathetic towards all people. And I'm at least like way more willing to, to learn and be open. And so I'll say that coming into a conversation like this and before researching to talk to you, I certainly had an idea in my head of what a prepper was, which you've already sort of smashed, right? And it, I would have thought like, yeah, it's people out in the country who are likely voting very conservative right wing. Uh, and at least in terms of talking about the prepper community in the city, we're not talking about that. So yeah, yeah I want to make an important distinction. Sure. The, the preppers, uh, the preppers that, you know, that, that I have, Many preppers um, might have distinct political opinions, but they're really, but when together, they're really not interested in talking mm. about politics for a very important reason. They're interested in learning prepping skills. They're getting together to learn from one another, you know, to learn how to better make fire, you know, to learn how to properly pack a bug out bag, to learn how to shelter, you know, in place, you know, to learn how to filter water. They're interested in the doing. You know, I think that's the difference between the political organizations that you've talked about earlier, um, you know, political groups and conspiracy theories. You know, this isn't, you know, many preppers, they're, you know, they're not about, they're not interested in these narratives. It doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, their own, you know, political persuasions. Right, sure. It's that you don't have time to sit and jaw about, you know, what your conspiracy theory is when, you know, you need to learn how to make fire or, you know, when you're, you're, you're hiking in, you know, a, a treacherous area and you have on, you know, your backpack and you're trying to, you know, navigate your way with a compass. You don't have that, you know, you're busy. You're busy. You're worried. You're grounded in reality. Oh, for sure. Okay. That makes sense. Did you though come to this work with any sort of like preconceived notions or ideas that uh, were changed once you did the research? Uh, you know, all, all sorts of things. I don't, my, my intro, I became interested again through direct experience because lots of things were happening in my life, you know, and here I am, you know, with a, you know, an urban sociologist who has a certain level of knowledge about the city and that knowledge that I have in an emergency disaster really isn't paying off very well. <laughs> so I started thinking, well, wait a minute, well, you know, what can I do better? How can, you know, you have to understand my father was in the military and when uh. we were kids, you know, we, I mean, you know, uh, you know, and growing up, um, you know, in the South, whenever there was a hurricane, you know, um, a possible hurricane, I mean, we were always supplying you know, my father always had a set and ready to go. My dad always had a plan. So that was something that I took very much for granted because when I moved to New York, I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about that hurricane business anymore. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong, right? Yeah. But um, um, getting back, but but so, so the idea is certainly I discovered some things. I became interested in the prepping community, you know, um, here and decided to check them out based on one of the things that, that um, piqued my interest was an article in the New York Times that talked about, um, prep, uh, that talked about, you know, the New York City Preppers Network and all the interesting things that they were doing. And um, it was, you know, fascinating to me that it was all, you know, that, that you know, um, there were there were all sorts of people who were very different from what I expected. In other words, they were people like me. You know, they weren't this, you know, someone who was, you know, concerned primarily about their Second, Amer Second Amendment rights and were concerned that, you know, the government was doing, to being too rest restrictive. This was about people in the here and now who, you know, may, ho may, may hold opinions like that, but they were, you know, and it's, you know, some certainly may, but they were interested in the doing and the figuring out how to survive, like the realness of it. That's what was important to me. Hmm. Are you able to share a few items that you think are absolutely necessary for New Yorkers to have in the case of like another superstorm. Yeah, in terms of in terms of a superstorm or in terms of a pandemic. I mean, there are all sorts of things. What I what I would rock, you know, they're all, you know, it, it basically depends on the circumstance. Mm. And you know, preppers um, you know, try to um uh cre my my advice would be for individuals to take a look at 
how you live your life. What do you need to feel comfortable in an emergency? Not just comfortable, you know, to survive and to take a look at that and think about what and, and take a look at um, ad, advice um, um, on, you know, websites such as ready, you know, um, uh, ready.gov, you know, to take a look at what you need to put in your bug out bag and not just what's meaningful to you. Um, they sell all sorts of things at all sorts of stores, you know, where they have these pre-made bags and they have, you know, these vats of frozen hot dogs or whatever the case or are, are tubs of goo, you know, that will last until, you know, 2099 or whatever year. <laughs> okay, you know. Don't just run out and buy that. Think about what your family likes to eat. Think about, you know, just because they're selling a tub of goo and they say it will last, it doesn't mean you have to buy it, right? Figure out what works for your family. And, then, and, and, and I think that's the most important starting position. What do you need? And then do some research. Figure out, you know, what, what will... Um, what will be useful to you? Like, for example, one of the things that I thought was fabulous for the pandemic that I know a lot, a lot of preppers bought um, were deep freezers, which isn't something that you usually think about for an apartment. Okay, but it's terrific. Um, you, and they come in all sorts of sizes. They, they have small ones, very small ones, which for apartments, and then they have medium ones. You know, and, and, and those that was came in handy. Um, it was a, a terrific addition, you know, to people's, pre people's preppers closets that had mainly dried goods. The idea that you could store meat in it, like with the pandemic, there weren't any concerns really about electricity, mm. you know, um, um, uh, about the loss of power, right? right? So people could use those instead of going to the grocery store. And I know for some preppers, it was meaningful, you know, having a, um, a well-stocked prepper closet was important because um, in the event, you know, because some, you know, some people lost their jobs and it helped tide them over, you know. Is there any sort of community resource? And I'm thinking about how I've read about like the seed library up in Antarctica or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Is there any sort of community resource like that for, yeah, like people who literally, I don't know, they live in a studio and they really don't have any space? Well, I think that, you know, the, they're, they're certainly in the, like, for example, you know, in the village, I know they have a community fridge. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, um, uh, for members of their neighborhood. Okay. But there's nothing in terms of, like, the prepper community where they're like, okay, we have this centralized location where we store stuff if you well, come in. Oh, there, there's no, yes, ah, yes, abso okay. absolutely. There are, there are different, you know, there are different networks and there are, you know, and there are certain, certain, um, um, let's say, uh, uh, there is resource sharing and there is mutual assistance. Yeah, and there are, you know, people who, um, uh, for example, I know one group of, of individuals right now who are interested in creating uh, basically a community pantry. And it won't be the first one that's been, you know, created in prepping groups, but they're interested in um, c creating actually a very large uh a uh, very large, I'll say, I think it kind of escapes beyond, moves beyond pantry. It's a kind of a, uh, I haven't thought of the word yet to call it in my, in, um, my latest book, but it would, uh, I'll say a resource unit. Yeah. Yeah, there are things like that for sure. So, sure. but remember, these are things a uh, lots of people can do. Right. You know, it's not that you know preppers are being secretive. You know, it's we can all network with one another. You know, are, are they sharing these resources? Um, you know, with individuals and in, in time of need, certainly. But you know, are they publicizing it? No, because you know there is definitely you know there of course is concern you know that there be there will be individuals who are not prepared who will seek to you know take advantage of you who will seek you know in a in a moment of crisis to use your resources and not contribute a, a lot of a lot of prepping is about as I've said trust it's about credibility and it's about um, earning. You know, earning your 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 position um, within the group about you know not just you know uh, showing up on time, learning a specific skill so you can contribute, um, uh, sharing your resources. You know, um, it, it, there's a lot of uh, there's a deep commitment. You know, to, to, to one another. Sure, you have to be dependable if some if the shit's hitting the fan. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. You need to be counted absolutely. on. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Is like self-defense taught at all? 
Yeah, there's certainly discussions of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and not just self-defense. Um, uh, there's another there. There was, I think, one of the most interesting sessions that that I attended um, was about uh, basically how to protect yourself in an active shooter situation. Mm. Which, unfortunately, is something, you know, that as a, you know, as a uni- university, uh, as, as a university professor that I've learned about, you know, not just through preppers, but have actually watched videos in my own workplace, you know, to try to figure out those, those moments of survival. Yeah, obviously working in schools, um, especially in recent years, there are like active yeah. shooter drills, but... I've always thought, like, oh man, like I don't, I don't know how well this would work in an actual situation. Like, yeah. I think we need to get <laughs> a bit tighter at this. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like your research, and probably no better time than now, uh, is continuing. You're going to write more about oh, this. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm writing right now. There's um, a, a quotation by um, 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 uh, Marlon Smith, who is the organizer and founder of Urban and Outdoor Survival. And he has this great quotation. Um, He said that prepping, he he says, prepping is about getting comfortable in your own discomfort. Hmm. The idea that if you have to sleep out, the idea if you have to bug out, if you have to shelter in place, if you have to, you know, learn, you know, if you have to filter water, if you have to build fire or, or whatever the case may be, the idea that as a prepper, you've already practiced it. You have a, a mastery of it. You have an understanding. So when an emergency arises, all of this isn't new to you, mm. right? So that you have a better, better sense of, of, of control and, uh, and I'll argue uh, understanding, a better understanding of yourself. Yeah, that you makes know, there's, sense. There's certainly an Emersonian quality to this. Yeah. The idea of, of, you know, character teaching above our wills, right? The idea of... of um, trying to figure out what, you know, what, what we're, we're made of. Hmm. I, I'm, I keep like making these connections to sort of, I'm not trying to say that industrialization is bad, right? Like we, we can potentially feed more people. We can potentially, well, I was going to say healthier, but probably not because of the way that we eat. Um, but yeah, I keep making these connections to sort of like where we've gotten ourselves uh, due to sort of like the comforts of modernity. Right. Um, and how that actually might be a major hindrance for things. Like I, is, is prepping in some ways a reflective look back? You yeah. know, sure, sure. But I think that, but, you know, you also have to understand too, you know, that, you know, preppers um, are just... Sometimes can be. You know, I, I'm stammering for a minute because you know they they they're such a such um, type A's. Mm. You know, you have people who aren't just saying, "Hey, how do I filter water? How can I, you know, <clears throat> um, engage in homesteading things like canning?" Right? Mm. There are also people who are saying, "Hey, you know what? How can I make my own generator?" You know, so th- so they're doing. Wow. You know, so they're <laughs> looking forward and they're looking backward. Interesting. You know? Are there any sort of uh, popular resources or books or, I don't know, like YouTubers where people can educate themselves more about these specific skill sets? Sure, there are all sorts of resources. Um, When you take a look, I I haven't looked lately, but, you know, when uh, you take a look at, let's say, prepping... uh, prepping books on Amazon, you know, we're well over a million. You know, so so my point is a lot of people are doing and reading and thinking about this. Mm -hmm. They're not just telling people. You know, and when you take a look at American culture, you can even, you know, take a look. And this is a, a whole nother conversation, a whole nother podcast. But, you know, you can take a look at commercials. You can take a look at American film, American, you know, I mean, songs, all sorts of important elements of, of, of pop culture. And you see preppers in there. You see a reference to them, mm. a reference to not just the idea of prepping, but the reference to um, thinking about disaster, thinking about, you know, a post-apocalyptic world. What would that be like? What would it, you know, what would it be like? How would we survive? There's kind of a, a, a fascination with that in American culture, you know, especially right now. And I think that has a lot to do with all of these, you know, uh, sudden changes. 
Well, yeah, even like zombie movies, they're always survival movies. It's like, how would I survive? Yeah, Obviously, exactly. zombies aren't real, but it's like, right, how would right. I survive when things right. are just right. completely messed you up? You know, there's a whole literature, you know, there's a whole scholarship on, um, uh, I'll say, the zombie genre oh. and, and different things that they teach us about our our culture. It's it's. it's Fascinating again beyond the scope of what you know what I do because this is about the here and now and about the real you know about things that have happened you know in New York and people trying to figure out how to help their families and how to help themselves. The pandemic has certainly increased anxiety. I think there's a lot of a lot of people who are either suffering from mental health right now or are just really worried about the future. Do you feel worried or do you feel like okay? I'm prepared for whatever happens because I'm part of this community. I think that one of the things that that has that I've learned, I don't want to say I've, um, that has strengthened in me is the importance of community resilience and the idea of how people use the philosophy of self-reliance, what they know about prepping, what they know about, you know, helping themselves and trying to figure out how you transition that into helping your community, mm. which I think is, is the key. I think the key to, to our success. Mm. That's what it's about. I think it's about the local. I and mean, when we take a look at, you know, the federal government, things are quite different now, but, you know, the initial, you know, confusion, lack of transparency and lack of regard, you know, that, that occurred during, you know, the, the Trump administration in its response to um, the the pandemic, you know, I, I certainly think there's been a significant turn to the local. Oh yeah, even uh, if you think about like the FEMA debacle with um, uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, yeah. I, th I think a lot of people lost faith in the federal response. Yeah, well, and, and when you take a look at, yes, Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, you know, certainly when, you know, early on in the project, when I started to interview people, you know, that was an issue that came up. Well, you know, I saw what, you know, happened in New Orleans. Of course, I'm going to think about, you know, what, what, what I can do. Mm. Yeah. So what can people, I guess, expect from you in the future? Uh, like what stage is that book in? Um, well, well, right now I'm working on... Um, uh, my first book is called Bracing for the Apocalypse. And when I take a look and, you know, um, uh, basically my first look at, at New York preppers and trying to figure, you know, and, and discovering that, you know, urban preppers are very different and that they're people of color. They're people uh, who, have ex who have experienced disaster and who are, who've taken a look at, uh, who have turned away from government and who have tried to figure out how to help themselves, what they need to learn, um, what they need to explore. And it's fascinating. Um, it's been a, this has been, I've learned so much about myself and what I can and what I can't do and what matters, what doesn't matter. You know, you learn <laughs> that, you know, when you're going through all, you know, the, these, inter, these endurance tests. Um, what I'm working on right now is taking a look at how New York, um, how, We've survived the pandemic and taking a look at basically the work of, of preppers during the pandemic and how, again, how people turned, how people expanded self-reliance into community reliance and taking a look at, you know, all the wonderful things that people have done to help one another. But that sounds, you know, very idealistic, but embedded in with that, embedded in that story Tim is a really, really important context. Understanding the whole story of the pandemic in terms of not just in terms of first the number of, of New Yorkers that we've lost, what we've lost as a culture, um, the impact that it has had on our economy, um, mm. the idea of trying to figure out how we New York, as New Yorkers, as we think about our city, how we build back. What's it gonna be like? You know, what do we want, right? What do we want? What do we want? If we're thinking about the future and all these changes that we need to make, well, we need to start making them, right? We need to develop a plan. Um, and then also, you know, thinking about, Well, I guess really what we mean by what we mean by recovery, what we mean by rebuilding and, and what we can learn from our pandemic experience and how that can enrich our way forward. That's what the book is about. 
That's very cool. I think so many people look at New York and New York City as sort of a leader. So yeah, if we can sort of turn the corner on progress in our city, maybe that's something that can then be emulated across the country and maybe across the world. Uh, so, okay, that makes me feel a little hopeful. <laughs> Great, yeah, I've, I, feel, I feel hopeful too. All right, cool. Um, where can people find the book, find you, maybe enroll and take a course that you're teaching? Okay. All right, well, well um, in terms of my book, my um, uh, Bracing for the Apocalypse is available on Amazon. It's available on, you know, you can certainly read it on Kindle. Um, you can, um, I'm at Queens College in the Department of Sociology. You can certainly reach out to me, you know, via um, uh, the Queens College email address. In terms of prepping, um, I, would, I would definitely recommend that you take a look at ready.gov. Um, that you take a look at um, resources in your area um, to try to understand what's available to you and take a look at your family. Why don't you have a hold a meeting, have, talk with talk with one another, and figure out what you need to do, what you need, you know, to survive. You know, people forget about so many things like extra, you know, having an extra pair of glasses so you don't have to use your contacts. People, you know, um, extra prescriptions, um, remembering, you know, food that you like and what, you know, what you can store, what you can put in a bug out bag. My important piece of advice is to figure out what you'd like, what you need and practice. Hmm. I like it. Uh, well, thank you. Thank uh, you. Some of my misconceptions have been shattered. I feel like I learned a lot. And I'm honored that you let me share your knowledge with my listeners. So well, thank thanks you. so much. And, and good luck to everyone. And um, uh, please stay safe. Cool. Cheers. All right, Voyagers. That is a wrap on episode 248 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much, Anna, for having me. It was really cool to check out Stytown. And it was even better to get to sit and talk to you about the New York City prepper community. I'm so fortunate that I've had such a diverse range of guests and topics and interest on this podcast. It feels like it's never ending. There's always more stuff to discover and I'm always happy to discover it. So thank you so much. Okay, Voyagers, I'm headed back out to the East End this week. Oh, there goes the siren. I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah. The other day when I was recording with Chris out in Greenport, I heard the siren as well. If you're wondering what that siren is, that siren is signaling the Sabbath. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's going off. Anyway, I'm headed back out to the East End this week to Sag Harbor, which is like an offshoot of the Hamptons neighborhoods on the way out to Montauk, where I will be recording, recording with two really cool people. So I'm excited about that. But for now, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to say, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you all very, very soon.